0: On this episode of AvTalk, air traffic in China is down 80% since the beginning of the year, the first Air France A380 enters retirement, and Air New Zealand may have found a way to make ultra-long-haul economy a little less terrible. Hello and welcome to episode
1: 78 of Av Talk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. And hello, Ian. We're getting curiously close to 100 episodes almost. We are getting curiously close to 100 episodes. Who would have thought?
0: I Not me. Not, certainly not me. But we're getting there thanks to the support of listeners like you. Like me? No, no you know I don't listen. The opposite of listeners oh, right, like you. right, right, right. Yes. It, you listened to what What episode? Were were one for seventy-eight so far?
1: Uh one I think when I wasn't there. The one you weren't there for. Well, you know, yeah.
0: We do what we can. Mm-hmm. Make sure we didn't say anything bad about you. No, no. I mean
1: you did, but you know, I'll let it go. <laughs> you should you should hear what we say about you when you're here. Mm. I'm not listening. So
0: the past couple weeks were busy, and the next couple weeks for you sir, uh, sound like they will be even busier.
1: Yeah, I got some fun stuff and some work stuff rolled into one. Um, Headed out to Seattle on Alaska, uh, driving up to Vancouver with our good friend Jeremy Dwyer Lindgren, who's been on the show a number of times. and Then we're basically joyriding on some beach 1900s, a couple different varieties from Vancouver to uh, Campbell River, I think it is. One on Central Mountain Air and the other on the way back on, uh, who is it? Uh, I believe Pacific airline. Coastal. Yeah, Pacific Coastal. Why you know that and I don't is beyond me. And then I'm <laughs> flying back on JetBlue and then I basically turn around and go out to London on, BA, on American and come back on BA from Gatwick, which will be new for me. That'll be an interesting. Are you doing the bus or the train to Gatwick? Funny enough, I'm coming from Heathrow, so I kind of have to take the bus. Oh, well, that'll yeah, be- Yeah, unless I were to take like the train to the train to the train to the train to Heathrow. That sounds more complicated than it needs to be. It is most certainly necessary. I didn't mean to book Gatwick, but here we are. Does what anyone are you do?
0: ever mean to book Gatwick?
1: I mean, no.
0: <laughs> too, late, too late now. Too late, I can't back out now. Well, in the next episode- I am looking forward to hearing about your adventures with Jeremy up in Canada and in Seattle so I I think that that'll be a good thing to uh to talk about in the next episode so I'm looking forward to that. Indeed. In this episode we begin with the continuing dramatic decrease in air traffic in and now becoming more so around China. The Traffic to China's busiest airports is down eighty percent since the beginning of the year, and, and really since uh, since the end of, of January, we started seeing the the big fall, which we talked about in the last episode. And further fell. Uh, we talked about two thirds down in the last episode. Now we're eighty percent down. So the fall in air traffic continues, and we're starting to see a reduction in flights. To South Korea and Singapore today, put out that they're not going to allow people to to come from China and transit Singapore as well as um, actually enter Singapore itself. So that's uh, further kind of closures there, and there have been outbreaks elsewhere. Uh, most notably, Italy uh, has a, a significant number of cases. So it, it doesn't look like this is going away anytime soon.
1: No, and it's kind of crazy to look at the, the map of aircraft over China. It looks like the map looked a couple of years ago before there was a wide range of receivers throughout the country. It just looks like there are entire regions where there should be flights, but there just aren't any. and It's not because there are no receivers, there are just no flights these days. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big
0: drop in traffic, both internationally. Um, it's a big drop in traffic domestically, and there there doesn't seem to be uh, a whole lot of change now that traffic levels have reached about twenty percent of normal. Traffic to to Europe from China is is down about seventy five percent. Traffic between China and Seoul is down about seventy five percent as well. So I mean it's you know a real a real dramatic drop but now we seem to have kind of reached this new normal with about 20%, 20 percent 20 percent ish flights operating um, it'll be interesting to see when we when we look at data for this past week whether or not that's held steady or, or whether or not there's been a further decrease
1: yeah unfortunately it doesn't seem like we're over the hump it's definitely feels like it's going to get worse before it gets better but hopefully the end is near I hope. For the, you know, coronavirus, not of humanity. <laughs> yeah, I guess let's be clear. Let me be specific. Yeah, on, on
0: what we're hoping for the end of here. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what further travel restrictions are put into place. Uh, because it does seem like there will be further travel restrictions based on, on current conditions. So it's uh, something to, to look out for. And, and whether or not... Other countries that have yet to be affected in a substantial way will put travel restrictions in place to either China or or other locations, Japan, South Korea, that have experienced an outbreak to try and clamp down on that.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate and it's definitely having... An impact on airlines and, of course, the tourism industry is I was actually supposed to not just go to London, but also Singapore on the same trip. And that part of the trip is no longer happening for what is now very obvious reasons. But um, I I feel like that story is probably being repeated hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of times.
0: Yeah. I I mean, and if you look at the big events that are coming up in Asia, there's a very real possibility that, that if things
1: don't change soon we might not have an olympics this year yeah they might delay it uh, we don't really know I, I maybe to the year after or there are events i'm hearing that are scheduled for september of this year that they might end up pushing back which is kind of ridiculous because i don't think you can plan that far ahead and what's a delay of 3 weeks but yeah this is going to have long lasting impacts
0: yeah so i mean we'll know by the time this episode airs what the data what the data tells us about the previous week. So we'll, we'll put that in the show notes and then you'll be able to to see for yourself whether or not we've seen a further decline in traffic or, or whether things have, have stabilized. I was seeing that Air China and China Southern are looking to restart some of their services in a very limited manner beginning uh, today, actually the, the 25th of February. So that'll be interesting to see how that's carried out. And, you know, what becomes of, of that resumption of service, some international service and some domestic service, as they look to to kind of get planes back in the air. But I think one of the the most striking images I've seen so far was Cathay's fleet parked in Hong Kong. I mean, yeah, not all that's, of it, that's but, crazy. you know, a lot of the wide, you know, wide bodies that they've taken out of service are just parked in in various locations. Wherever they have space in Hong Kong, and that's, um, I, I think, a pretty stark image of, of what you know how this is impacting airlines.
1: Well, at least it's taking at least some of the stress off airlines that have uh, grounded 7.3 max fleets. So that's tiny silver lining, I guess. T- the, the tiniest, I think, of, of silver linings. Yeah. A, a couple of airlines have gone from, we don't have enough planes to, what do we do with all these planes we yeah. need to park? Speaking of the 737 MAX,
0: it's that time again.
1: Oh no. What, is, what time is it? What time do you want it to be? I guess I was trying to get you to say no. it, but I'll say it. It's time for the bi-weekly Boeing bungle. What now? So there are roughly 800 737 Max
0: aircraft that have been manufactured so far. And they have discovered in some of the wing fuel tanks FOD, foreign object debris. FOD bad, FOD never good. FOD the opposite of of all things good. It's one of the the worst things that you can have on an airfield or or in an aircraft, Boeing has had issues with this recently. Not on the commercial side, but on their uh, KC forty six tanker. And now some of the seven three seven Max aircraft uh, have experienced the, the the same thing. They were finding tools and rags and, and things inside of the fuel tank. So now they're inspecting all of them. They're all parked, so it's easy to inspect them all. So I guess we're, if we're talking silver linings, that's one of them. And from there, they found the early reports were about thirty so odd aircraft um, that have found they found debris, and so they're continuing to
1: to Had search an Expected
0: that. total of only like forty something. So it's a very high percentage. So I mean, obviously, or not obviously, but hopefully, that percentage will decline dramatically as they investigate further aircraft not a good thing but no. something something easily remedied but hopefully something that is easily remedied in the future as well by not happening
1: yeah not happening and i think that's what was so alarming about this is is boeing has been known for being very careful about this having very good fod anti fod procedures careful logging and placement of tools on the production line so, how they're leaving tools behind in aircraft and they're not being noticed is alarming because that should not be able to happen with their anti-FOD procedures. I mean, you walk around on their production floor and there's markings on the lo- on the floor of what areas are, are okay to have FOD, not that it's really ever okay, or what areas are FOD, um, I guess, cautious, be aware of it, be very careful, and there are FOD critical areas where no amount of foreign debris on the ground is acceptable. So it's very surprising that there would be such a high rate of aircraft with FOD coming off the Boeing line. It's, and this is, the 7.3 Max is not the only aircraft that had this. Um, I believe the 7.67 tanker variant had that issue as well. Some early um, 7.48s had the same issue. So it's not new, but it's still alarming and very not good.
0: Yeah. so uh, They're investigating that situation. The FAA is getting ready to issue an airworthiness directive uh, regarding a panel on the engine nacelle. They got buffed too hard and Mm. the panel lost some of its – It's a composite panel with an aluminum foil and the aluminum foil is designed to provide protection from lightning strikes. And in some of the rework on the panels, they they got buffed too hard, basically. Who among us? Yeah, and uh, oh boy, and they there was some some te- not tearing but uh, like yeah, gap created, and so it wouldn't provide the same protection that they're designed to protect. So they're going to fix those. And the FAA said, "Well, inspect them all." And, and Boeing said, "Okay, we're going to do that." And so that that airworthiness directive should be out this week. So so, just I mean, this plane is the most inspected, detected plane that I has ever been produced. I think it's safe to say at this point.
1: I'd imagine so. Um, At least a a commercial passenger aircraft, by far, yeah. Maybe maybe the Concorde more. I I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, at at this point, I think that you know, as they find you know
0: little things and little things and little things. I mean, it can only help improve the safety of the aircraft, which which is. Good. But I wonder how much of this learning is being taken to heart by Boeing. And Airbus as well. Y- well, certainly. Yeah. I mean, by I should say, by any aircraft manufacturer, in finding ways to to improve the processes and procedures while there's time to do so, certainly in the case of the 737 Max, but also just in general. I think that's going to be one of the bigger things, not you know, tomorrow, not next week, but years from now when we're talking about building aircraft and things like that, the real lessons learned from from this episode.
1: Yep. Lots and lots and lots to be learned from this ever-evolving, prolonged incident.
0: The Kazakhstani investigators that are looking into the Beck air crash released a very detailed and very interesting animated reconstruction of the crash and it shows what we already roughly already knew, but it adds new new information because it includes the the stall warnings and things like that from from the flight data recorder that we didn't previously kind of have access to so the one thing that that kind of struck me about the recreation of the animation was the tail strikes, the repeated tail strikes, and then the the kind of continuation to to really try and get that aircraft up in the air.
1: Yeah, the animation, if you haven't seen it, we will put it in the show notes. Yeah, go to take a look at that. Um, How many tail strikes? A bunch, Uh, a uh, whole bunch of stall warnings. I think the maximum altitude they got was like 16 feet or something like that. And they just kept trying and trying and trying and trying to, to get the nose up and off the ground, but it just wasn't happening.
0: No. And and then, um, the animation the the video that they posted ends with the security camera footage that we've already seen and discussed and then ends with some aerial images possibly shot by a drone or something like that showing the the final resting position of the aircraft uh, that I hadn't seen so that's something that kind of puts things into perspective about where where the aircraft ended up in relation to the runway which is further down the runway than that i had kind of built my mental picture. So that was something that that i thought was a very interesting way to present that that information. Yep, yep, yep. Last week, an Air Canada A319 departed your favorite airport and mine, New York-LaGuardia. Uh, oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Bound for Toronto told the tower that they needed to keep the gear down and slow down a little bit because they had some hot brakes, put the gear up, flew to Toronto, put the gear down when they got to Toronto, and something wasn't quite right. So They flew by the tower and the tower said, yeah, you don't have one of your your wheels.
1: How hot was that gear?
0: (laughs) Very, apparently. They didn't just lose the
1: tire, they lost the wheel. Uh, I can't recall an instance where I have seen that before. It it's happened before
0: and recently on another Air Canada flight in fact. But they landed safely. It was it was one of two wheels on the main main gear. So they landed safely. They stopped and and the arf trucks came and, and looked and said okay, it's fine and they took care of it. But the, the whole wheel just gone. Very strange. Um, so where did it, it go? I wonder it, where it ended up. One assumes that it fell off not long after departure. It is somewhere in Flushing Bay, I'm sure. It's entirely possible. So, you know, we, we posted to Twitter, and, and some people took it as a joke, but not joking. If you find an aircraft wheel, let the FAA know.
1: If you find an aircraft anything, let, let the, the FAA, FAA know. know. That's a good point. You shouldn't be finding an aircraft anything anywhere. No. So yeah, that's store.
0: Well, there you go. But that is the status of that. And if the wheel is found, or if uh, I'm not sure who's investigating this particular incident, whether it's the FAA or or Canada, Canadian authorities, or a combination of the both. But if there's something released about where the wheel went, if they figure it out, we'll we'll keep you posted.
1: Wheel Watch 2020.
0: <laughs> Let the hashtags begin. So Air Baltic joined the A two hundred and twenty engine failure club.
1: Congratulations! Mm. What a terrible club! Not not a win. Not something you want to win. No, no. Is it just me, or does it seem like the Air Baltic, or not the Air Baltic, but the A two hundred and twenty C series engine failure club is contained only in Europe? Well, it, yes. Uh, is that by? chance or what's going on I feel like it's happened to Swiss a bunch now Air Baltic well but yeah it, it happened to Swiss and
0: so the information that was put out regarding the engine kind of looking at the failure of the engine and what Canada the Canadian authorities recommended in in their airworthiness directive says We're we're looking into this. We continue to look into this. But one of the ways to mitigate this particular type of situation is to watch your engine power in cruise. So so don't bring your engine up too high, you know, during your cruise speed. And the three incidents that occurred with Swiss were basically they were climbing while already in cruise uh, above twenty nine thousand feet. So one of the directives that uh, a number of A two twenty operators have followed. They just don't fly above twenty nine thousand feet. And mm. Air Baltic w- was not one of these. And um, if you look at the ADS-B data, based on where they turned around, they were climbing above twenty nine thousand feet. So it's entirely possible that this was one of the kind of warned against incidents. But that said, I mean. We we don't know for sure, and obviously it's being investigated. the The French BEA is looking into it because it happened happened above France, and, and I'm sure there are a variety of uh, investigative bodies looking to get to the bottom of this. Not not the least of which is Pratt and Whitney itself. Yep, yep, yep. Not great. No, not not great. But uh, another one to to add to the to the investigative list. Certainly, a220 operators are are now you know looking looking to make sure that they're they're doing everything they can to prevent this. And the aircraft remains on the ground in Bordeaux. So there uh, you go. This uh we'll we'll see how long it takes to get it to get it back in the air.
1: So speaking of fancy new engines failing more than anyone would like, ANA in Japan announced today that it is ordering 15 with option for 5 more additional uh, 787 dreamliners, but they are taking the rare Opportunity here to actually switch engine manufacturers, which is not something you see often. So they will be switching from Rolls Royce engines over to GE engines. Um, You typically don't ever see that because engine continuity among a fleet means it's just much easier to maintain because you can hot swap those engines between aircraft. But in this case, uh, ANA is going out of its way to order the aircraft with different engines, which is pretty crazy. It'll be interesting
0: to see how they how they manage that and do they do they put that subfleet on specific routes did they say i i didn't really see much in the announcement about how they would be using those particular aircraft
1: no i didn't see that but i don't know if there have been any other airlines that have operated the 787 with Rolls-Royce engines that have switched to another engine manufacturer. Um, I'm not saying there aren't any. I just don't know if there have been any. I don't think so. To the research desk. Ah, we have one. I don't know. We'll put somebody on it. Somebody Google it. There they, you go. Yeah. Either way, very unusual for something like that to happen, but that shows how important it is to airlines to have engines that work. <laughs> yeah, There. there is that. So Today, something came out that
0: seems along the lines of things that we've been talking about in the past, um, but this one's real. It's it's really real. Air New Zealand has come Is up it? with the who knows. Air New Zealand has come up with the Sky Nest.
1: I mean, it they they built one. Yeah, you say real, but anyone with a 3D printer can come up with something real these days. But that's a depressing thought. Yeah, isn't it? But what this is is Air New Zealand has very long flights because New Zealand is you know very far away from everywhere except Australia, and they've toyed around with the ideas of like how do you get flat beds in economy? And they were one of the first, if not the first, actually airlines to have those weird convertible economy seats that turned into I'm air quoting here beds uh, that they called the sky, the couch, sky couches, Sky Couch, where basically like a little I guess like an additional part of the seat flipped up in a row of three and or four and turned it into, hypothetically speaking, a flat bed. Now they're launching some pretty long flights, um, New Zealand all the way to New York at the end of this year, I think. And they're toying around with the concept of, of basically improving upon that. And we saw Last year at uh, the Aircraft Interior Expo, where Zodiac and Airbus toyed around with this lower deck, t- converting um, some cargo deck space into a bar or lounge or a workout room. Or what was most interesting was like the little sleeping pods. Uh, Air New Zealand won't be doing that. They'll put it in the actual passenger level of the aircraft. And it doesn't look like it takes up all that much space. It has I think 3 or 4 flat beds on either side and kind of a V shape. Um not a whole lot of privacy. It's probably not going to be the greatest experience, but a flat bed, somewhere to lie down for an hour or two. Since this will not be your seat on the aer- aircraft, you'll still have to buy an economy seat and then additionally book some time in this. I would probably do it just to stretch out and lie down for an hour or two. There's all sorts of other issues like just the flight attendant police and come in and say, hey, wake up your time's up, get out. I don't know how that will work, but I'd give this a 10% chance of happening, but I, I hope it does in some form. So, yeah. I mean, that was my
0: first question was how do the mechanics of that work? You know, who gets to use it and and then how do they get to unuse it? Because that seems like a recipe for all sorts of
1: niceties gone wrong. Yeah. You're going to hear a uh, knock, knock, knock housekeeping. <laughs> and and I guess yeah, back to your economy seat. Yeah.
0: And I'm sure the flight attendants are, you know, excited about that, so maybe
1: it'll be self-policing.
0: Where you know I, I'm next. Get out of my
1: get out of my bunk. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting, and I hope they're able to come up with something that's realistic, and they they can once again license out to other airlines. Yeah, that that's true. They they did uh,
0: license out the Sky Couch. So maybe yeah, maybe they can the Sky Nest. Uh, yes. which sounds much cozier than the renderings. us to believe. Yeah, but
1: uh, it'll be interesting to see, nonetheless. How about we pivot to something depressing? I mean, sure. Why not? Okay. Okay. The first Air France A380 has been retired. I don't know if that's depressing or just inevitable. Uh, It can be both. It it can be both. Okay. That's fair. It can be both. As uh, Brett Snyder, Cranky Flyer put it, when the French are taking a write down on a French built aircraft, you know, things have gone horribly wrong when when the french are retiring an aircraft before it's time bad things have happened and that is that would leave them with just 9 left in the fleet i believe mm-hmm. and all gone all will be gone by 2022 i think yeah it's it's a quick exit yeah it's not long unfortunately they still pretty much come to jfk every day which makes very little sense because it's their worst product in the fleet and it goes to one of their most premium destinations but what are you going to do that's just New York exceptionalism for you, but that's I see it as sad um, that the, the end is near for the A380 and it, it's inevitable at this point. And it's, The numbers of 380s at JFK are already starting to dwindle and it makes me sad because we just widened one of our main runways for the A380. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's,
0: it, it is sad and, and I am sad that the aircraft didn't work or didn't work for enough airlines to make it work for the industry.
1: Right. Was it wrong place, wrong time? Was it ready too late, ready too early? In 20 years, will airlines be saying, damn it, I wish we had the A380? Uh, we don't know, probably in my my mind. Yeah. I'm, I I think that
0: the, the A380's place in history is probably one of something gone too soon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it not like, you know, we miss it and everything like that, but just it, the utility of that type of aircraft will likely be
1: in further in the future. I feel like it's the 757 over again. The 75 was discontinued before airlines truly figured out how to use it effectively. Uh, maybe that will happen with the A380 that towards the end of its lifespan, Emirates will figure out that the magic bullet to getting the A380 to be a profit machine. And they'll wish they had them, you know, still coming off the line. But I, it's probably unlikely.
0: I mean, we we can we can dream, but uh, I think that I think that the fleet will continue to to shrink, and then without it, question, yeah. And then it'll be interesting to see what happens with enough of them on the secondary market. It'll be interesting to see what happens.
1: Well, Highfly only took one of the two it said it was going to take, and they right. can barely keep that one operating consistently. And there is a huge market for uh, wet lease aircraft right now, and they can't even keep that for, one going for consistently for all, all
0: manner of all manner of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that I think that with enough of them on the secondary market, though, it'll be interesting to see if anything comes of that.
1: Beer cans or uh,
0: name tags. Oh, or name tags I guess. so many name tags that was the they with the first the first dismantled a380 that the singapore sent back that they've now you can now get your a380 aircraft tag for your keychain so if if that's what you're interested in you can do that cool yeah i mean you know a, a small recycling of of the of the aircraft in in april particular use case, but uh, it could be turned into other things as well. stuff. Shall we retire for just a moment, take a quick break and come back, and then we'll get into a bunch of airlines, new airlines, airlines that might be old airlines soon, other airlines that are now former airlines, and a few that just won't die. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back, and now it is time for a laundry list of airlines doing things. I say we start with new airlines and work all way work our way down to uh, airlines that just won't die. Go Okay. Order? All right. Here we go. Where do we First begin? up?
1: Tell me about Breeze. Breeze. This is uh, formally no the airline startup formally known as oh god I forgot the startup name already because Breeze Muxy. is in my mind. Moxie, that's it. They can't do Moxie because Moxie's some hotel points thing now or some sort of chain. But Breeze is the formerly launched startup from David Nealman, who you might remember from JetBlue and Azul. They will be starting up with some, I think, used E195s courtesy of, of course, Azul, starting from, I think, in the northeast, uh, or at least on the east coast, east of the Mississippi River between underserved uh, secondary and tertiary airports point to point, so not hub to hub, like not the old JetBlue style uh, infiltrate JFK and fly to Buffalo and and uh, Fort Lauderdale. They will be flying things like, um, none of these routes are actually announced, I, I believe, but they're flying routes like, uh, let's say, Springfield, Massachusetts to Knoxville? I don't know, something weird like that. They will eventually take delivery of brand new A220s, but as a stopgap, they'll be using those E195s. And it seems like kind of a, a kind of a change from Neilman's prior moves, where the man loved the seatback TVs on JetBlue. That was a um, a defining staple. Breeze will not have that, they'll probably have Wi-Fi and streaming entertainment, but it kind of seems like it will be somewhat basic compared to his prior airline startups, especially since JetBlue is now 20 years old at this point. It'll be interesting to have a new startup in the US, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, and not the only one. Former uh, United Airlines executive has 125 million in the bank, and is trying to get his new budget airline off the ground. Andrew Levy, who was at United prior to The new airline now and was a co founder of Allegiant Air back in 2002. So, this one's coming out of Houston and they're going to use high density 737 800s and serve basically vacation spots. So, think places that are warm where you can spend a lot of money.
1: Hmm. Well, that's nice. Yeah. What about uh, my favorite startup? Baltia. Oh wait, no, they're still dead. There, are there's We dead. have no Baltia news. False alarm.
0: I, I don't think we'll ever have any Baltia news ever again. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that that. So the new airlines there. Um, airlines in danger, perhaps. Taram out of Romania is getting a thirty-seven million euro lifeline uh, for operational costs. And they are going to try and, and keep themselves operating with, with that loan. They've just taken some new ATRs, so they're starting to renew their their turboprop fleet. So that'll be interesting to to see if another kind of smallish European airline makes it. Uh, and, and I certainly hope they do. And then Asiana, their executives are uh, saying that they're going to take a pay cut to to weather the current crisis. There, good luck. <laughs> I mean it. Uh, it does seem that all of this amounts to good luck. Yep, pretty much. Uh, yeah,
1: that's all I got. Bad luck, Trans States Airlines. Ooh, I mean yeah, this. Read Cranky Flyers blog a post on this. It seems like it's good for everyone. All right, we'll we'll link to it in the show notes because if Jason says it's good for everyone. I mean, I guess there are some people in the back back of house, I guess I don't know what happens to the dispatchers or other people in the headquarters, but the way Cranky put it up it, it seems like a actually not terrible plan. All right then. All right. Well, basically what's happening is uh, TSA can't attract pilots apparently. They operate solely for United at this point, so they will transfer almost all of those aircraft, fr- the E-145s from trans states, and they will go over to, was it Skywest? One of them. <laughs> one, one of the regional guys. Uh, maybe Sky West, I'm not quite sure. Um, somebody can fact check me on that. But anyway, they'll be refurbished, but back into service with another United Express airline um, who actually has pilots? No, it's definitely not Skywest. Damn. Who is it? You don't know, do you? I don't know. No. Oh. This one was you, my friend. Mm. Not Compass. Wait, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. <laughs>
0: We're just gonna start listing Express <laughs> Jet. Random. there That's you go. It.
1: There we go. Express jets. So who will stop operating a small fleet of E one hundred seventy fives? And uh, they'll take most of these E one forty fives. More regional jets for everyone. Who's dead now, though? Atlas Global is done. Mm. Is their website still up and running? No, with there's that. no more.
0: It's gone. So they had an all hands meeting in Istanbul where they told everybody not to come to work the next day
1: and they stopped Aww. flying. But they didn't tell anyone else. Yeah. Um, their website, quite ironically, actually had a banner ad saying, like, Hey, good news. We're back up and running from the last time they shut down. Not great. No, but they're
0: done. All of their aircraft have been either returned to the lesser or parked for storage. So, if you're in the market for some rather elderly A321s, I have good news. But no, they they are done. They are no more. Their website no longer exists. Now, what's the next phase after death? It's not so much after death it's it's i don't know whether it's after death or, or a continuing slow burn of the undead the undead, the undead indeed undead airlines include alitalia and, and south, south african, african airways.
1: airways weird feel like that's been the case for years
0: now uh, we we could probably devote uh, an entire series of episodes to discussing how both of these airlines both should be so much better than they are but should also not exist. Yeah, they are their own worst enemies. So the Alitalia is in the, I say in the process of, but continuing the process of, um, the process is being dragged on into its fourth decade, fifth decade, where they're trying to, you know, redo how the airline operates in order to actually make money. There was some interest in a consortium buying Air Italy, buying Air Atal- uh, All Italia, not Air Italy. Um, <laughs>
1: wait, did we even get to that one?
0: Yeah, that, that was last episode. So that didn't happen, and so now the the person who is the the extraordinary creditor or extraordinary administrator for for the uh, for Alitalia they're trying to you know further cut costs and, and things like that so they're looking at a um, a comprehensive restructuring plan to possibly cut 3 aircraft from the fleet
1: good luck 3 3 aircraft sure that yes. that silver bullet problem solved so that'll be interesting
0: to see how how much uh, how much is raised from from that particular measure south african airways Nothing has changed there. They're still parking planes, cutting out their their less efficient A340s in favor of the the A350s in and, and cutting some some things there. But there was a new report that came out about the financial situation of the airline that basically said no one has any idea what's going on, and this is all very bad. That feels like a problem. And and indeed it is. One of the big things that – this was an auditor report and one of the big things they flagged was that the airline doesn't sign contracts with suppliers or or doesn't – or regularly does not sign contracts with suppliers, (laughs) which to me sounds – you would think that that would be kind of something you would do. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to then. Nope. So not much change there, but just kind of further reinforcement of things are not so good, and they're still trying to to make things better. Uh, again, good luck to them. Mm-hmm. Some neat stuff to close out the show. Well, not I, not neat. Neat in a in a weather related, interesting to aviation sense. Not neat if you were one of the passengers caught up in it. Over the weekend, the Canary Islands suffered uh, a a sandstorm from the Sahara desert basically blowing across Africa and and over the Canary Islands and visibility was near zero the pictures were you know just this orange glow and you couldn't see very far at all in front of you but the most interesting thing i saw was a satellite loop of the the sand coming across the sea and and enveloping the islands. and Then the clouds that formed based on the the wind carrying that sand. I thought that was just really neat uh, and something we'll put in the show notes if you're interested in that sort of thing. But Things seem to be back to normal. One of the more interesting things that happened there, speaking of wet lease operators, airlines employed wide body aircraft there. Most of the time, 737s, A320, A321s are, are the the aircraft of the day. So, seeing 787s, 767s, I think an A340 got used to carry passengers home is uh, something interesting.
1: That's always fun if you're not on those flights or if you just happen to be flying that day and look what came. Yeah, exactly. So, a couple other things to to
0: say about aircraft that are kind of interesting, but uh, meh. the A330 got certified. Yeah. It's somehow still a thing. It's somehow still a thing with, I think, nearly three dozen orders. That's much better than this time a year ago. Yeah. So good on you, Airbus, for getting the A330-800 certified. A330-800, for those of you that don't know, it doesn't matter. Yep. (laughs) It's the smaller A330-NEO that has gotten a, a smattering of orders in in random numbers from a couple airlines. I, I think Kuwait recently ordered like four and a half of them. Yes. And it what was odd was that they ordered the front half. Mm. So it, it, it's unclear to me where what the, the back half maybe like a you know a, I don't even know what you would do. It'll be interesting. Okay. But uh, who knows when one will actually enter service with an airline. That'll be the interesting thing I to, remember
1: the days when see. Hawaiian had the only order for them. Ooh.
0: Yeah, that didn't last long. No. And then they were like, oh, wait, let's get some 787s. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we'll, we'll see if that if that pans out for for Kuwait or anybody else. American and Qatar are back together in their on-again, off-again romance. It, it's like a um, – it's become a soap opera at this point.
1: I don't know. Soap operas usually have at least a coherent plotline somewhat. This is just sloppy nonsense. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're we're talking a couple of years ago where Qatar joined One World, um, and then almost immediately the relationship went went very icy cold with the US airlines that we won't get into the politics of it, but the U.S. three don't like the Middle East three, and back and forth, and then they got rid of all their code shares. And Qatar was pondering leaving One World. Um, American CEO went all the way to the White House to complain about subsidies or not playing fair or something, and then seemingly nothing happened. And then all of a sudden today, hey, American and Qatar are code sharing, and American might even fly to Doha. So that happened. That happened that happened i don't know what happened or what changed but that happened so very confusing yeah if american flies to doha that would be interesting yeah i don't see that happen i don't see it happening either no. but it would be interesting if they did i yeah i don't know what the route would be but uh, i'm i'm signing up to watch this Thing go down now, Knoxville, Tennessee to Doha. Very. I mean, we didn't talk about this. That American did also sign a pretty comprehensive code share agreement with Alaska Airways, former airlines – Sorry, I don't want to be eviscerated by Alaska fans. Signed a code share agreement with Alaska, and Alaska is also joining One World. And Americans launching long haul flights from Seattle to India. Didn't see that one coming. I, I no, oh. no that one. That one definitely caught me by surprise. Yeah, I think it caught everyone by surprise. It's like American woke up and they're suddenly like doing things that make sense. Maybe they felt like they finally needed to do things. Weird. Yeah. So good for American for being a coherent business for a change. <laughs> That's a, I think that's it's an extremely low bar. To, it is though, a low bar. Though, but to American be fair, in, as in an the airline, airline industry. Uh, yeah, American in, as an airline and business has set a very low bar for itself over the last few years. So it's good to see them doing new and interesting things that make business sense. I'm just going to let you leave that there. Okay. I'm mm. dropping it. You can pick it up if you want.
0: I uh, no. I'm I'm going to leave it alone. But I am going to close the show with with something that that's really neat that Nats put out today. Nats being the uh, UK's air navigation service provider, uh, air, air traffic control. They to celebrate the hundredth anniversary of the first air traffic control tower. They had uh, an artist colorize. A bunch of the photos that were taken at the time. And they're just some really fascinating stuff to see what that looked like and the work that they were doing at the time. And, and just some of the aircraft that were there. So, I mean, just seeing how how these giant maps, the the actual pins that they're using and things like that. So some very cool stuff. We'll link to it in the show notes. But if you're interested at all in the history of aviation, this is something that that you're going to want to check out. So using uh, paper maps. Uh, pins, you know, these, these massive radio consoles, all sorts of great stuff. So, so really cool history. And just the, the watching the, the colorization, they, they've got the image slider, so you can kind of slide back and forth between the, the colorized version and the, the black and white version. So, so some really cool stuff and and definitely take a look at that. Well, that was episode 78. Yeah, it was. All right. Some interesting stuff to talk about next time when you're back from your your journey to the Pacific Northwest and – or really the Pacific Southwest, I guess, since you're headed up – Yeah, it's pretty big up there. Head up Vancouver Way. But we'll be excited to hear about that. And whatever happens in the intervening two weeks, I'm sure there will be much to discuss. Thank you all for listening, and as always, uh, we truly appreciate ratings, reviews. iTunes is a great place to say how much you like the show, if you like it, or to say what you would like to see different, if if you would like to see different things. You can always contact us directly, podcast at fr24.com via email, find us on Twitter. And Facebook, if those are your chosen social media platforms, or just shout really loud and Jason will probably hear you. It's always
1: a chance.
0: I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with
1: Jason Rabinowitz. And thank you.